Today, if you will turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 9. 2 Samuel chapter 9, we will be dealing with a fairly familiar story, but one which speaks to my heart every time I study it, every time I read it. And so I actually requested the privilege of um, sharing this with you because it's been um, something that ministered to my heart even as a young boy. My mom was just reminding me this morning about a, uh, these children's Bible story tapes that she used to have, and one of them was about this strangely named young man by the name of Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth never um, goes to the top of the baby name lists, but looking at him as a person, I have on more than one occasion wished that someday I would have a son to whom I could give this name. Now maybe it'll be a middle name, um, because that's a mouthful for anyone, but I do appreciate the person of Mephibosheth and the story that he represents. So the title of my message, if you're taking notes today, is Mephibosheth, a portrait of God's grace. And as we discussed this morning throughout the breaking of bread and after the breaking of bread, aren't we all in need of the grace of God? Um, I'm going to open in a word of prayer and then uh, we'll begin. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for the word of God. I thank you for its truth. I thank you for this story that we are about to embark upon studying of Mephibosheth. And I thank you that um, even though his name is hard to pronounce and hard to spell, that you know his name. I thank you that you know all of our names and you know the hairs on our heads. And Lord, my prayer today would be that if there be anyone here that needs to realize their value before you, that today would be that day. That they would realize that they are valuable, not because of who they are, in the sense of what family they're part of, not because of their athletic skill or the power of their legs, but because of the grace of an almighty God who created them in His image. And I pray that that message would go forth powerfully. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. All right. Well, as we begin, I want to draw your attention to the first five verses and a remembered promise. My first point is a remembered promise. 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1. And David said, Is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul that I may show kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was of the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba. And when they had called him unto David, the king said unto him, Art thou Ziba? And he said, Thy servant is he. And the king said, Is there yet any of the house of Saul that I may show kindness of God unto him? And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son which is lame. In his feet. And the king said unto him, Where is he? And Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he is in the house of Melchior, the son of Emilio, 
and load the bar. Then King David sent and fetched him out of the house a Melchior, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar. Now there's one, there's a couple of things I realized right away here. Um, David has been establishing himself as king, and one of the things that was traditional among those who established themselves as king is that they would kill off anyone of the previous kingly line. Kingship was typically something that was passed on from generation to generation, and when it changed families, people wanted to eliminate the previous family because they didn't want any threats to the throne. And that's why so many times you see people, you know, people were excited and they came to David and and were excited about the death of Saul. And what did David do? David ran his clothes and he wept for Saul. Now why would you weep for someone who was your sworn enemy? Because David realized Saul's place as the king. And also because David loved Jonathan as his own soul. And I think it is a, is a most unfortunate byproduct of our culture today that if a man were to say of another man, I love him as my own soul, that would be grossly misinterpreted. But that's the kind of love that we need to have for one another. And that's the kind of love that David had for Jonathan. And so David remembers, hey, I, I want to show kindness to the house of Saul. For Jonathan's sake. Because you see, Jonathan did not take for granted the kingdom. Jonathan knew that David would be king and he he was glad for David to be king. And then we also notice something here about Ziba. He comes to David and David said, Is there yet someone that I can show kindness to? And Ziba, I almost sense a reluctance in Ziba here because he said, um, there is one of the house of Saul. He has yet a son. And then he says this, who is lame in both his feet. Now, I don't know for sure whether Ziba was saying I just want you to know that he can't offer you anything. Or if he was saying, don't waste your time. But either way, the, 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 the state of Mephibosheth's inability is placed right in front of David. There's no effort to hide it. You know, I have to admit, as a disabled man, when I go, when I apply for a job, I often don't say anything about my disability on my resume. And there was one particular time when I was showing up downtown for a job interview and I literally had to call them and cancel the interview from right outside the building because there was no elevators in that building. But you see, my initial thought is don't tell them because they're going to think things about you before you even get a chance to talk to them. And so it has been a struggle for me. 
in various areas because of this. But anyway, he makes this known, and the king says, where is he? David doesn't say, well, let's see if we can find someone else. His next thought is, where is he? And Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he is in the house of Melchior, the son of Amelia, in Lodabar. And then the king sent and fetched him out of the house of Melchior, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar. Now, to this point, the Philbosheth is basically kind of just living in this house. He has no idea what's going to happen. He's living one life. We don't know much about his subsistence. We just know that he's living there. And meanings have a lot have a lot of significance in the Bible. And I think it's significant. The meaning of Mephibosheth is exterminator of shame. And the meaning of Lodabar is without pasture. So presumably this place of Lodabar is not a place where there is a lot. Because the meaning is without pasture. And um, I wonder if we might look, by way of cross-reference, at 1 Samuel 20, 12-17 and 2 Samuel 4-4. This will give us a little bit of background on uh, these promises, or the promise that David and Jonathan made to one another. If someone could first read 1 Samuel 20, 12-17. One of the gentlemen, if you get there, just stand and read it for me. I would appreciate it. Then Jonathan, then Jonathan said to David, The Lord God of Israel is witness. When I have sounded out my father sometime tomorrow, or the third day, and indeed there is good toward David, and I do not send to you and tell you, may the Lord do so, and much more to Jonathan. But if it pleases my father to do you evil, then I will report to you and send you away, that you may go in safety. The Lord be with you, as he has been with my father. And you shall not only show me the kindness of the Lord while I still live, that, that I may not die, but you shall not cut off your kindness from my house forever. Know not when the Lord has cut off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, Let the Lord require it at the hand of David's enemies. Now David again caused David to vow because he loved him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. So we see this situation where David is hiding from Saul, and Jonathan says to David, my father does not mean you harm. And David says, if he doesn't, then I will come back. But if he does, then you will know. He, he makes this elaborate plan where he says, I'm going to be absent from the table. And when I am absent, tell him that I went to be with my family for a proper ceremony. And if he is appeased, he is appeased. But if he's angry, then you'll know his heart. And Saul actually gets so upset that he endeavors to kill Jonathan because he's so angered that Saul has taken, or that Jonathan has taken David's, or yeah, Jonathan has taken David's part. Now, if we could look at Second Samuel four four. Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son who was lame in his 
five years old with the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. And his nurse took him up and fled. And it ha happened as she made haste to flee that he fell and became lame. And his, and his name was Mephibosheth. So this is the first mention of Mephibosheth, how he becomes lame in both of his feet. He's fleeing because Saul and Jonathan are dead. There's no earthly protection left for Mephibosheth. Because there's no earthly reason why he should stay alive, because he's a descendant of Saul. And yet David remembers his promise. We just read again about the promise that Jonathan and David swore to one another that they would care for each other's families even after death. Jonathan said, you're not just going to care for my family while I'm alive. You're going to care for my family after death. And David remembered that. And so that is the situation into which he brings Mephibosheth. And um, I just think that's such a great picture of what God has done for us. Remember, first of all, in Deuteronomy, he said, I, am, I have not chosen you to the children of Israel because you are some great people. But basically, to paraphrase, he said, because I love you. Because I have chosen to extend my grace to you. And we read later in the New Testament that when the fullness of time was come, he came born of a woman, to redeem those who were under the law. What a blessing. We live in an era of uncapped promises. Nations sign important treaties and then break them at will. And many couples show little regard for their wedding vows. In this kind of society, we who are God's people should be known for keeping our promises. The brilliant Christian scholar and writer C.S. Lewis took this truth seriously. He was determined to pay what he had vowed. His biography tells of the suffering he endured because he kept a promise he had made to a buddy during World War I. This friend was worried about the care of his wife and small daughter if he should be killed in battle. So Lewis assured him that if that were to happen, he would look after them. As the war dragged on, the man was killed. True to his word, Lewis took care of his friend's family. Yet no matter how helpful he tried to be, the woman was ungrateful, rude, arrogant, and domineering. Through it all, Lewis kept forgiving her. He refused to let her actions become an excuse to renege on his promise. Again, we see our Lord in that story. Because at any time... He could have called legions of angels to destroy the world and set him free. And yet he said, over and over, some scholars believe, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Okay, and then the remembered promise is followed by a reverent response. A reverent response from Mephibosheth. I can only imagine what it must be like to 
um, be living in a fairly low state of life in this low bar without pasture, having really nothing to claim as your own, and then being brought before the king. And perhaps he thought he was being brought before the king to be killed. But this is what happened. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was come unto David, he fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold thy servant. And David said unto him, Fear not, for I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake, and will restore to thee all the land of Saul thy father, and thou shalt eat at my bread at my table continually. And he bowed himself and said, What is thy servant, that thou shouldest look upon such a dead dog as I? Dogs are often used in the Bible as a low form. When, when, God, when Jesus talked to the Phoenician woman, he said, I've come but to the lost you of Israel. And she said, even the dogs get the crumbs that fall from the master's table. I'm thankful to be a dog that has gotten crumbs because the crumbs that he gives are so rich. So very rich. But I want to bring something interesting to your attention. If someone could read very quickly 1 Samuel twenty four fourteen. I don't know if Mephilosheth had heard this story about David, but it's interesting that David had a similar response to Saul as Mephibosheth shows here. 1 Samuel 24, 14. After whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom are you pursuing? Uh, a dead dog? A single flea? So, yeah, that's the verse. So, so David calls himself a dead dog. He, in humility to Saul, says, I, I'm nothing. Why are you threatened by me? Why are you coming after me? I've done everything I can to support you. I fought valiant battles in your, in your name for your kingdom, and yet you're following me and pursuing me. And so perhaps Mephibosheth heard this story, perhaps not, but either way, Mephibosheth uses a similar word of humility when he speaks to David. He has the proper response. Because again, there's nothing in Mephibosheth that, that could, could offer anything. I mean, he couldn't say, I'll be your servant, David, for the rest of your days. I'll, I'll work your lands. I'll... I'll clean your house. You couldn't say any of that because we know his, his physical condition and how similar that is to our spiritual condition before the Lord. We can say nothing and do nothing that makes us 
worthy. Paul said, Paul, the great, great theologian of the New Testament, in at least in some human perspectives, we could look at Paul and say, there is no one greater in the New Testament that we could aspire to be like. And yet he himself said this, I know that in my flesh dwells no good thing. Um, if we could look very quickly at 1 Samuel 20.41. 1 Samuel 20.41. Someone could read that. And as soon as the lad was gone, David rose out of a place toward the south and fell on his face to the ground and bowed himself three times. And they kissed one another and wept one with another until David exceeded. So this is David and Jonathan departing. Once again, just a, a reminder of why David is in this place, why he has chosen to do this. And then Matthew 15, 26 and 27. If someone could read that for us. And I and I, I got ahead of myself there, but there it is. Once again. The conversation that he had with this Gentile woman. And if you remember, he had a Gentile in his family tree because Ruth the Moabitess was the mother of Obed, who was the father of Jesse, who was the father of David, and so on and so forth. And we we even sing that song in, in, in the children's beginning sometimes about the begots. And it seems kind of funny to put that to music, but it's kind of neat to realize how God put it all together. Even, even, the, even the genealogies in the Bible are there for a reason. And it's important for us to remember that. Okay, finally, part three, an undeserved reward. We had a remembered promise. Then we had a reverent response. Mephibosheth didn't go in there feeling like he deserved to be there. He called himself a dead dog. And that's how we need to be when we come before the Lord. Lord, I'm nothing. Because he told us that. He said, without me, you can do nothing. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You who were dead in trespasses and sin, hath he brought near. By what? By the blood of Jesus Christ, which cleanses us from all unrighteousness, according to 1 John. What a blessing. And then we have an undeserved reward. Verse 9. Then the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said unto him, 
I have given unto thy master's son all that pertains to Saul and all his house. Thou therefore and thy sons and thy servants shall till the land for him, and thou shalt bring in the fruits that thy master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, thy master's son, shall eat bread always at the ma- at my table. Now Ziba had fifteen sons and twenty servants. Then said Ziba unto the king, According to all that my lord the king hath commanded his servant, so shall thy servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table as one of the king's sons. This grandson of Saul was being treated as one of the king's sons. Reminds me of another Saul, Saul of Tarsus. While he was still breathing out threats against the church, God met him on the road to Damascus and he was never the same. When when Jesus has a face-to-face encounter with someone, they are never the same. They have two choices to make. Either they harden themselves against the gospel or they become free because of it. And whom the Son sets free will be free indeed. That's my testimony, and I trust that it is yours. Some people say, well, if, if you really believed, then you could be healed. My friends, I've been healed. I've passed from death into life. And one day, this corruptible will put on incorruption, and this mortal will put on immortality. We just sang about it this morning. One day he's going to return. I love that last verse because I hope that he comes without me dying. But even if I die, as, as, as Job said, though my flesh fail me, I know that I will see God. I know that my Redeemer liveth and on the earth again will stand. And I will see that. And my prayer for you is that you will see that. Not because you or I are, have any merit of our own, but because the king called us to his table. He hasn't come to make bad people good. He's come to make dead people alive. Behold, any man, if he be in Christ, is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And notice with me, if you will, that Mephilosheth isn't going to work this land from Saul. Ziba and his servants and his 15 sons are going to work this land. And it says in these last two verses, and Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all that dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants unto Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he did eat at the king's table and was lame on both his feet. I think this is a reminder to us that there was nothing that Mephibosheth could do to be worthy of this honor. He was lame in both his feet. He was the son of the enemy. And yet it says he ate bread continually at the king's table as one of the king's sons.
I was an enemy of God. And I am lame in both my feet. And yet I eat continually at the king's table myself. Because the most important thing I am is a son of the most high God. Because he paid for me. Paul says, I lay hold of that for which he laid hold of me. That's why I speak to you today because he laid hold of me and he didn't let go until I surrendered. So I encourage you to surrender. If someone could read Romans 7, 17 and 18. Romans 7, 17 and 18. We'll just read this quickly. And then 1 Corinthians 2, 9 to follow that. And 1 Corinthians 2 9. But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen, and ear has not heard, and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. So Paul is saying, just as David brought Mephibosheth to his table and treated him as a son and gave him more than he could ever have imagined, God has that in store for you and me. And nothing on this earth that we can think of is as great as that. Even the greatest thing we can think of. That gets me excited. Because I've seen some pretty great wonders here on this earth. When I sat at the Grand Canyon a few years ago and marveled at that, I don't think I've ever said wow as many times in, in, one time, in one place as I have there. And I'd encourage you to go see it. You know, that, that itself is a symbol of judgment and mercy because that was more than likely formed by a worldwide flood where only eight souls were saved alive, Noah, his wife, his sons, and their wives. And yet it says during all that time that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. Noah was saying, if you want to, you can get aboard this ark. But none of them took him up on it. And when God shut the door, they were left with no recourse. Time is coming when Jesus will come and set things right and the day of grace will be over. Please trust him before then. Please. Charles Spurgeon said this, if people must go to hell, may they go to hell as we do all we can with our outstretched arms to hold them back. That's my goal as a minister of the gospel, to hold as many back from the fires of hell as I can. It's not a proper message. It's not a happy message. But the result is happy. Because if you know that you are facing death, you can pass into life. I'm just going to end with this poem. 
And it says this. My grace is sufficient, O lost one, thy soul to redeem from its woe, to give you a perfect salvation, to keep you wherever you go. My grace is sufficient, O weak one, the bondage of sin to remove. My strength is made perfect in weakness, then seek for the strength from above. My grace is sufficient, O tried one, to meet every testing and need. Whatever may be the requirement, my grace is sufficient indeed. My grace is sufficient, O dear one, yet even for death's trying hour. This foe have I met and have vanquished. No need then to fear its dread power. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for these lessons from the life of Mephibosheth. We thank you that this story is not about how great Mephibosheth was, but it was about the fact that the king of Israel reached to Mephibosheth in his lowest state and brought him to the banquet table. And how much greater than David that would do we have, though he was a man after God's own heart, we have the one of whom David said, Thou wilt make thine enemies thy footstool. And we thank you that you vanquished death. And we thank you that you have risen from the dead to remind us that we will also rise. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. And we look forward to that day. Lord, I pray that you would go with us to our various places, that you'd make your face shine upon us and give us peace. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.